throughout the Bible, it's all through the scriptures, we can read that when God's people come together to pray, God works with great power. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Exodus chapter 3, we read that the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. And God's people cry out to the Lord. And what does he do? He raises up Moses and then delivers the people from Egypt with great power and signs and wonders. Illustrating that when God's people come together to pray, God moves with great power. Another instance, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Read this this afternoon. King Jehoshaphat is there, king of Israel. Three nations are coming against them to attack them and destroy them. What does King Jehoshaphat do? He gathers the whole nation together, come together to pray and to fast. And as they are praying and fasting, God brings a prophetic word, a word of prophecy, a spiritual gift of prophecy comes to one of the individuals there. And when they follow that prophetic word, those three nations are conquered miraculously, when God's people come together to pray, God moves in powerful ways. One more example from Acts chapter 12. Peter is in prison. God's people gather together and pray for Peter's release. And God sends an angel. Read about it. It's amazing. Peter's chains fall off him. The, the, the guards that he had been chained to stay asleep. The angel opens up one door after another, and Peter walks out. Again, illustrating when God's people come together to pray, God's heart is stirred. God is moved to work in powerful ways. And that's one of the reasons why we have a, an annual week of prayer, as Hunter mentioned earlier, starting a week from today. An annual week of prayer. And so what I want to do this Saturday and next Saturday is show you two scriptures which will illustrate for us the, the power of God, the mercy of God in responding to prayer when God's people come together and, and devote themselves to prayer. So we're going to start this morning today with Acts chapter 4, a time when the church gathers together to pray. But before we look at their prayer, we have to understand the situation that they are facing. So let's ask this question first. What situation did these believers face? Here's what's happening. Acts chapter 3, the previous chapter, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And as they come to the entrance, they see a man who has been lame from birth. So from birth, his legs have been useless, not able to carry any of his weight. He couldn't walk. Tragic situation. Somebody would carry him to the gate of the temple every day, and he would sit there outside the gate begging for money. So everyone who would come into or go out of the temple knew this man, basically all of Jerusalem. They knew about this man who'd been lame from birth. And when Peter and John see this man, he asks them for money. But Peter says, I don't have any gold or silver, but what I do have, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And immediately, Jesus' power 
comes upon this man, restores his legs. He stands up. Can you imagine a lifetime of not walking? Like, how do these things work? Okay. And then all of a sudden he's there. And Luke says he's walking and leaping and praising God. Well, the news spread throughout Jerusalem. The lame man, he's, something's happened. He's walking. People are running to come and see what's taking place. Massive crowd gathers around. And Peter starts to preach about Jesus. He says, this, we didn't do this. This wasn't me and John. Jesus Christ did this. Who you crucified. Jesus is the Messiah foretold all through the Old Testament. The Messiah sent by God to save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Messiah and you crucified him. But God raised him from the dead. And if you will turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, you will be forgiven for all your sins and restored to God. Turn and trust Jesus Christ. And people were crying out to God for salvation. People were convicted of their sins. Powerful move of God taking place. At the same time, though, the Jewish leaders showed up on the scene. Not happy. They are not happy about this. And they arrest Peter and John and hold them in prison overnight. And then the next morning, bring them out to question them together. And so they ask Peter, tell us about this miracle. And Peter says, you asked, Jesus Christ did this. Who are you crucified? You've sinned against God by destroying his Messiah. But if you will turn, God sent Jesus so that you could be forgiven. The only way you can be forgiven for your sins is to put your trust in Jesus Christ, to turn from your sin, to rely on Christ's forgiveness. He's preaching this. Now, they're not happy about that, obviously. This is not what they wanted to hear. And so they send Peter and John away, and they discuss, what are we going to do with these guys? What are we going to do? And they call them back, and they say, listen, you must stop talking about Jesus. We are warning you. You must stop talking about Jesus. But Peter asked them, tell me, who should we obey? Man or God? Should we obey man? Should we obey you? You tell us not to talk about Jesus? Or should we obey God, who has told us to tell everybody about Jesus? We must obey God rather than man. Don't you love Peter's boldness and courage? I mean, these are the men who killed Jesus just a few days earlier. We must obey God, not man. I'm sorry. Well, they, at that point, threatened them again. You must not talk about Jesus anymore and sent them away. And they went back and they talked to their believers, fellow believers. So if you were one of these believers hearing this story, how would you have felt? What would you have thought? What would you have done? And think about it. You'd be hearing the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus has worked a miracle. A lame man is healed. Peter told everyone about Jesus. He told the Jewish leaders about Jesus. Many came to faith. But the same religious leaders who had 
crucified Jesus and bore no consequences for that, those same ones they're warning us to stop talking about the Jesus they had killed. So how would you have responded? What would you have felt? What would you have done? Let's take a look at what they did. What did God's people do? I love this passage. Start reading in verse 23, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they... Peter and John were released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, all the people they were sharing with, they lifted their voices together to God and said, stop right there. So what did they do? They lifted their voices to God. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray. We need to cry out to God. Oh, we've got to pray about this. They lifted up their voices to God. And what I love is Luke, who who wrote the book of Acts, he focuses seven verses in describing for us word for word what they prayed. He wants us to learn about how they prayed. So Luke gives us one verse to kind of introduce the passage, verse 23, and then seven verses to describe how they pray, verses 24 to 30, and then one verse to show how God answers, verse 31. So one of Luke's goals in this passage is to teach us how to pray. That's why he wrote this passage. How do we pray when we are surrounded by people who desperately need Jesus, who are walking in darkness on their way to hell, and we have the gospel? How should we pray when we're facing that situation? How should we pray when there are obstacles that we face for sharing the gospel with them? How should we pray when that's going on? And how should we pray when it might be costly for us to tell people about Jesus? How should we pray? Sound familiar? How should we pray, Grace Church? So how did they pray about this? First, they proclaim God's sovereign control over everything. God's sovereign control over everything. Look at verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Stop right there. So they start off with this phrase, Sovereign Lord, which is an unusual word. It's not often used in the New Testament, but it describes the fact that God is in sovereign control over everything. Everything. Nothing happens outside of God's control. God is in complete control of everything. And then they give one reason why that's true about God. It's because he made everything. What God makes, God controls. So he made the heaven and the earth and the seas and all that is in them. So he's in control of the heaven and the earth and the seas and all that is in them. So can you feel how comforting that would have been? How powerful to start off your prayer focusing on that God is in sovereign control of everything. Yes, these religious leaders have warned us and threatened us that we must stop talking about Jesus. But the God who is in control of everything, the God who is in control of them, 
has told us to keep talking about Jesus. He will control whatever happens to us. That would have been sobering and deeply comforting. So first, they proclaim God's sovereign control over everything. These leaders don't have ultimate control over us. God does. God does. He controls our destinies. Then second, they use Psalm chapter 2. This is so interesting. They use Psalm chapter 2 to apply God's sovereignty to their circumstances right then that day. Start with verse 25. They're still talking about God. So they're saying God is the God, verse 25, who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 2 which describes leaders who gather together to stand against, to, to work against the Lord and his anointed. Now that word anointed is the Hebrew word Mashiach, from which we get the word Messiah. So Psalm 2 says that when leaders unite against God and against his Messiah, it's in vain. It's futile. That's what Psalm 2 is saying. And then in verse 27, these believers apply that verse from Psalm 2 to their situation, to what just happened with Jesus' crucifixion. Notice how they repeat the words gathered together and anointed in verse 27. Verse 27, for truly in this city, now we're talking about today, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, so notice, gathered together and anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now think about it. Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, the Romans, and the people of Israel had gathered together to crucify Jesus. But that was in vain. Did the crucifixion stop Jesus and his plans, purposes? Quite the contrary. Oh, it cost Jesus suffering. Horrible suffering because he loves us so much. But this is all part of God's plan and part of Jesus' plan. Because in dying on the cross, he was paying for the sins of everyone who trusts him. That's why you're saved. And then God raised him from the dead. So they were trying to stop Jesus by what they did with the crucifixion. But they didn't stop Jesus. And then in the same way, the point is that these threats of these Jewish leaders against Peter and John and the rest of the believers, those threats are also going to be in vain. That's the point here. Believers, they're going to keep telling everybody about Jesus. They are unstoppable. They're just going to keep obeying God rather than man, telling everybody about Jesus. And whatever the Jewish leaders do in response will be part 
of God's predestined plan. Did you catch that in verse 28? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And even if God's plan is to have some of those believers be killed, God will use that to advance the gospel, to save lost people, and they will be in heaven where, you know, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Gain. So it's a win, 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 win. Except for those Jewish leaders, okay? And may they come to faith in Christ. That's what's going on here. Now, let me just point out, this is one reason why it is so crucial that we understand that God is in control of what people do. This is hard to wrap our minds around. It's not, not easy. But God is in control of what people do. And, and again, if, that, if this is a new thought, this idea of God predestining what the, what the leaders did and crucifying Jesus, if, if God's control over what people do is a new thought for you that, that you're maybe struggling with a little bit right now, I understand. I was there. I'm sympathetic with you. I would just encourage you to take some time. Just start to study through the scriptures on that topic. And I think you'll see that it's, it's all over the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, we see two truths taught again and again and again. Two truths which, which we don't understand how they go together, but the Bible just puts them right smack dab together again, like right in this passage here. One truth is that God controls what people do. He's in ultimate control of what everybody does. And that's just mind-blowing to consider. But the second truth is that we're not robots as a result. We make real choices for which we are accountable. So we really choose. We really are accountable. And God is in complete control over our choices. Now again, think about that. Better than think about it, study it. Look at the scriptures. Some people say, well, those just can't be possible together. But I would encourage you, it's not wise for us to limit God to what we can understand about him. God's ways are above our ways. God's thoughts are beyond our thoughts. God has made a universe in which both of those truths fit perfectly fine together. That's the universe we're living in. And think of how comforting it would have been for these believers to understand God is in complete control over these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders. He's in complete control. Our destiny is not in their hands. Our destiny is in God's hands. When you understand that God is in complete control over what people do, it will bring strength and ballast and steadiness and steadfastness into your life. That's what was happening here with these believers. So think now about how the truths of this prayer would have affected these believers. They would have been reminded God's in complete control. Yes, the Jewish leaders have threatened. Yes, they've warned. But God is ruling over this whole thing in absolute, complete control. He is not wringing his hands. He is not worried. Secondly, they would have understood that their destinies are not in their hands or in God's hands. Not in their religious leaders' hands, their father's hands. That's where their destinies lie. Oh, strength. And then they would have known, because God is the sovereign Lord, 
This is why we're praying. Because whatever we ask him to do, he can do. He has power over everything. There's no limits on what he can do. And that's why they ask then. And look at what they ask. This is the, the last part of their prayer. They ask God to work. And look at verses 29 through 30 to see what they ask him to do. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. First of all, Father, look upon their threats. Father, we, we know you see them. We know you heard what they threatened. But Father, look upon their threats. These leaders have warned us. They've threatened us. They're urging us to stop talking about Jesus. We're not going to stop talking about your son, Lord. We know that you are in complete control of what these leaders do. We are going to obey you and keep telling about Jesus. But Lord, in your mercy, take note of their threats. Take note. Take note, Father. Then they asked God to grant them boldness to speak about Jesus. Why did they need boldness? Because they would have been battling some fear at this point. Remember what these Jewish leaders had done to our Savior? Horrible. They've told us to stop talking about him. Obviously, fear would be rising up in their hearts. So they asked God, grant us boldness to speak about Jesus. They need boldness. They knew that talking about Jesus could cost them. God might keep them from all harm. Like the way I mentioned earlier, he delivered Peter from, from jail in Acts chapter 12. God could deliver them, protect them from all harm, which he does sometimes. But he might, in his love and wisdom, allow them to be killed like he did with Stephen, who was stoned for preaching, like he did with James, killed in prison. We read that in the next chapters. So there could be cost, which is why, Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness. I love the fact that they ask for boldness. Nobody's bold naturally. Nobody's bold automatically. God gives boldness. Lord, give me boldness. He will answer that. He will give you boldness. Just all of us not-so-bold people here who need to pray, God, give us boldness, right? That's who, that's who they were. That's who we are. That's what he will do. So they pray, God, make us bold. Give us courage. Overcome our fear and our timidity. Help us see that Jesus is worth it all. Help us see that. And then they ask God to heal the sick and work miracles in Jesus' name. Did you catch that? While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, why do they pray for that? Well, just like what happened with that the lame man. Everybody knew he was lame from birth. All of a sudden, he's walking and leaping and praising God. All of Jerusalem is going, what's going on? Glorifies Jesus Christ. That's why we should pray for this. So, yes, we should pray for this. God does supernaturally heal the sick. God has also given us doctors and nurses and medicine. 
which he wants us to use, and we're grateful for it. But God does still supernaturally heal the sick. And so we should pray and ask God to do this. Now, that does not mean that it's always God's will to supernaturally heal the sick. Sometimes it is, like we just saw with this lame man who'd been lame from birth. But sometimes it's not. In his wisdom and his love and his compassion, sometimes it's not his will to heal in this life. We see that in Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So our job is to pray. That's what he calls us to do. Pray for the sick and then trust that he will do what's best. But we do need to pray for the sick. We need to pray for the sick. It's not just the apostles who work miracles and signs and wonders. They do. They did. Amazing. The book of Acts, you can read about it. But Stephen worked signs and wonders and miracles as well. Stephen wasn't an apostle. Philip worked signs and wonders as well. Acts chapter 8. He was not an apostle. And James 5 tells us all to be praying for the sick. All of us. And 1 Corinthians 12 says that some of us in this room have gifts of healing, which we will discover as we start to pray for the sick. And you will see not everyone healed. You can't heal at will with the gift of healing, but as you pray, you will see more people healed. Maybe I've got the gift. Some of us here have the gift. We need to see that rise, that exercised. So yes, this is something we should pray. Father, for the glory of Jesus Christ in Abu Dhabi, heal the sick and work signs and wonders here. Come and do that, Lord. So that's how these believers prayed. They proclaimed God's sovereign control over everything, including what the Jewish leaders would do. They used Psalm chapter 2 to apply God's sovereignty to their situation. Then they asked God, take note of their threats, Father. Give us boldness to keep speaking of Jesus and heal the sick and work miracles in Jesus' name. So there's the seven verses. Luke has told us this is how they prayed. And Grace Church, this is how we should pray. This is a model for us today and how we should pray. And then what did God do? It's amazing. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Literally, like, felt like an earthquake. Okay? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So first, God caused the place where they were gathered together to be shaken. When God's people gather together to pray, there are times when he encourages us by making his presence felt and experienced, making it manifest in our midst. That can happen lots of different ways. That can happen by God bringing a spiritual gift like a word of prophecy or a word of tongues that's interpreted to someone. That that can happen in that way. And it's like, God's here. God's here. Or it can happen, have you ever been in a prayer gathering where just all of a sudden, or maybe gradually, but just we're, we're all just sensing God's here, everybody, isn't he? He's here. I remember a few years back in this room right here, Pastor Cam, who was the previous pastor here two, two pastors ago, had cancer. 
And people were coming together one night to pray for him for healing. And the room was full of people. And uh, was praying and, and people were getting up and using the mic. But then all of a sudden somebody leads out in, in this amazing worship song. And, and people start singing. And, and then spontaneously people start standing up. And it's just like, oh, God's here. It was an amazing night. The Lord was there, present. So he can bring a spiritual gift. He can just come and give us all a sense of his reality there, his, his manifest presence there. Or he also can make the place shake. I've not experienced that, but let's just pray. God will do what he chooses to do. But when God's people gather together to pray, he will bring great encouragement to us. And these are some of the ways that he could do that. That's what he does here. That's not all that he did. This also would have been very encouraging. Next, he filled each of them with the Holy Spirit. Now, hadn't they been filled with the Spirit back in Acts chapter 2? Yes, they had. You can read that, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. But here, God fills them again. See, the Christian life is not like you get filled with the Spirit at the beginning, and then the rest of your life you're just kind of living off of, you know, wistfully looking back at what happened back then. No, you're filled, it's just like your car. You know, you get filled again, and you got to get it filled up again, and you got to get filled up again, and then again. But let me ask you, when was the last time you were filled with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time? Now, being filled with the Spirit is not about speaking in tongues. Some people teach that, and I believe they're well-meaning, but I don't think it's what the Bible teaches. Tongues is a beautiful gift, which God is still giving today, but it's not the mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is where God pours His love into your heart, and you feel His love for you. Oh, it's beautiful. Or it's where He gives you a, a heart revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. So you don't just know that Jesus is glorious, but Jesus, you are glorious. I'm feeling it. I'm seeing it. You are glorious. Or where He gives you what Peter describes as joy unspeakable and full of glory. You can't turn that on or off just by your willpower. This, God gives that to you. It's God's Spirit giving that to you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So it's, don't, don't equate it with speaking in tongues. Somebody who doesn't speak in tongues can be more filled with the Spirit than somebody who does. Okay? Being filled with the Spirit. But so let me ask you, when was the last time you were filled with the Spirit? Let's pray, God, Fill me afresh with your spirit. It's like we sang this morning. I want to know you, Jesus, my Lord. I want to know you more. I, I need more of your love poured into my heart. I want to behold your glory more. The word describes powerful fillings with the Holy Spirit. I want that. I need that. Give that to me. Give that to us. That's what God did for them there. And Think of how encouraging that would have been as they were thinking of the threats and the warnings. This fresh filling. I'm here. I love you. I've saved you. You can trust me. Go tell everybody about Jesus. Whoa! I love that. One more answer to prayer. God gave them boldness to speak of Jesus. Did you catch that? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Yes, they heard threats. Yes, there would be cost. They knew that God was in complete control. They'd been filled with the Spirit. They knew they were loved, saved, protected by God. And so they knew that Jesus was worth any suffering that God would allow them to incur in the path of obedience. Jesus is worth it. So they would let nothing stop them. 
Let nothing stop them from telling people about Jesus Christ. That's what God did. And as you read the next chapters of Acts, that's what happens. They are bold in talking about Jesus. Signs and wonders take place. Healings take place. Some of them are arrested and beaten. Some are arrested and killed. But hundreds, thousands are saved. Jesus is glorified. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. So Grace Church, what does this mean for us? Let me give you four takeaways. Ask God to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. God's just been putting in my heart a a longing to pray, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. I want everything you have for me. Show me any area of sin I'm justifying or I'm blind to. I want every bit of sin dealt with. Not that I'm going to become perfect, but I'm going to be battling every sin. I don't want to play games here. Life's short. Eternity is long. Your joy, your glory is everything. I want all that you have for me. Pray that. Lord, I want everything that you have for me in knowing you. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Ask him for that. Then second, I want to challenge you to pray for miracles. Pray for healings. So on your own, Lord, would you pour out healing power? Would you pour out power to work miracles? And then when you're with a sick person in your home group, lay hands on them and pray for them. Maybe when you're in line with somebody at Lulu's, if they're sick, you could ask if you could pray for them. Pray for miracles. Secondly, and then third, be bold in witness. Be bold. And we want to honor the government here who has told us not to proselytize, and we can obey that without disobeying God. Proselytizing is when you, like, don't do this, when you take a soapbox to Yaz Mall and stand up in that center section to start preaching about Jesus. That's proselytizing, okay? You don't need to do that, okay? And you'll be gone, okay? You don't need to do that. What I have found so helpful is just to meet people on an individual basis, ask their story, ask about their spiritual background, ask more questions, learn, and then share your story. Share your spiritual background. Share what Jesus Christ did in you, and be sure to talk about the love of God displayed on the cross of Jesus, and your guilt, your sins being paid for, and you being forgiven completely and reconciled to God so that you know for sure you're going to heaven. It's that message of the cross that God will use to save people. Once that seed's been planted, salvation can come. So that's why it's so important to put your focus there on the cross. So be wise, be wise here in Abu Dhabi, but tell people about Jesus. Don't do this on company time. Do this on your own time, okay? Be wise, but obey God and tell everybody about Jesus. And then last, join in our prayer week. Coming up starting a week from today. So carve out, any extra time you can find during that week devoted to prayer. Devote as much time that week to prayer by yourself, with your family, with other brothers and sisters. Every home group is going to be focused on prayer, and as always, is open to anybody who wants to come. We'll be sending out that information in an email. 
all of our men's discipleship groups, men's, women's discipleship groups, open to prayer. So men go to those men's groups, women go to those women's groups, lots of groups of prayer throughout the week. We'll have a day of prayer and fasting. Let's give ourselves to prayer because when God's people come together to pray, God moves and works in powerful ways. Let's stand and pray. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. I pray that you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh, each of us, Lord. I ask God that you'd give us boldness. Give us boldness, Lord God. Free us from fear and timidity. Help us to see that Jesus Christ is worth it all. And then, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the advancement of the gospel here in the city, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.